about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story i love the way you frame this i think this doesn't get talked about enough in in funding strategies or going out and getting funding or the type of investors that are out there which are people who can bring a value add to the startup or the company or the product Mm -hmm. that you're trying to launch and and while you didn't say that explicitly you did you said you need somebody who can help us break through this routine which means someone who believes in the mission and to some degree has a platform right i think anyone who would look you up would know that you've got some big name investors who aren't your traditional like i said vcs they may be actors and, and other startup founders but you you made a comment to me earlier in our prep session around like there is a reason why these people are there, not just because they are, they have a certain celebrity, but because they actually believe in this and they can become a platform for that. I think it's an interesting, I think a super important point though, for founders, for people going into building a company of any type to have funding partners who bring the right kind of value add that you're looking for. So the fact that you guys were able to kind of identify that Mm-hmm. And then find some really unique investor types to to join your your group is super cool. Just wanted to make that comment, I guess, more than anything. But I, yeah. I, I love that funding strategy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of you know tips and tricks and advice and do this and 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 don't do that. And it it can be a lot. And I'll tell you, it was a lot going through it for my first time. And so it was it was a it was a kind of comforting way to a level of comfort to kind of cut through the noise, but. At the end of the day, who's getting behind us because they want to see this product exist in the world more than anything else. Love that. And that was just a very good kind of forcing function to kind of cut through all the advice and and, and whatnot. Because yeah. there's, there's a lot of it out there in terms of how to tackle your first fundraise. So it's disheartening. Yeah. It makes totally. it so it's like yep. super approachable for everyone. Super approachable. One so one other piece of this that we've been exploring a bit, which is a lot in this space. To your, I love the comment that you said VCs and, and investors care; like they really are paying attention to the space. But so is the government, right? And we've got some programs and some things out there. But you guys are, you know, that are supporting EVs, right? And and manufacturing in certain spaces. I don't think that's part of the paper look right now does that need to change you know is is there enough kind of government involvement here to support companies like you guys or others that are trying to break up this industry similar to how they're they're going and and subsidizing electric vehicles or Mm -hmm. things like that yeah that's interesting and i think with the you know with the most recent bill or, or act there was a heavy focus on subsidizing evs both for the consumers and on the manufacturing side and one side of the coin is like, I think that that is uh, great just broadly. And two, what it's also doing, which you know, part of the problem we're trying to solve is it just brings things like EVs or solar or wind energy a bit more to the mainstream in a certain mm-hmm. way. It makes it more accessible, for example, which is very much our focus. Right. Like, how do we make these kind of sustainable spots, whether it's as small as switching your paper or as big as buying an electric vehicle? How do we how do we kind of bring the how do we make that switch or that trade off? as much kind of at parity as possible, or even incentivize it where it actually is a more prudent decision right. to go easy right. versus not, or go bamboo TP versus not. 
Right. Um, and so in that regard, kind of from that macro lens, I think that that's that it's great to see the support there to kind of tip the the incentive scales a bit to help people move towards more sustainable routes. But you're also correct that we're not going to see immediate tangible benefit in the same mm. way that maybe an EV manufacturer might. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of different areas that we can focus on from the perspective of a government. And I think this will this will be likely on the on the list because again, I think it's the problem of deforestation, the way that the traditional paper industry has existed for many, many decades. The the light is continuing to shine on it brighter and brighter and brighter. And right. you know, to me, it's only a matter of time until you do see some of this kind of large scale national support or kind of attention, I should say, from a kind of legislative perspective. We'll see if it makes it into you know. Paper manufacturing, U.S. paper manu, tree-free paper manufacturing subsidies make it into the next act. Like I'll, I'll take it if so. <laughs> love it, love it. You got to kind of push for that. We don't and have any lobbyists yet, so yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe <laughs> we don't have any lobbyists yet. Right, right. And I know you're not as uh, you don't like to focus as much on the advice giving portion of being a founder, but. On the other side of that, there's definitely some learnings and some things. Anything, you know, as we start to kind of think of our audience and going, hey, you want to go into this space, any, you know, things that you would maybe say to look out for, watch out for pitfalls mm-hmm. to plan for earlier than later in your journey? Yeah. What's the saying, Ty? Don't let, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Something, <laughs> nice. something yeah. like this. I guess I should yeah. know the saying more before I go into this next monologue that that this whole thing's based on but i really do believe in just getting started on what you're nice. interested in and what you think might be a good idea right don't necessarily worry to you know whether it's a pitch deck or an email introducing the idea to an investor you got introduced to or whatnot like don't worry about everything being so polished I mean, just go get feedback early in a kind wow. of raw rough stage of, of where your idea is that and just get started and start working on it, right? Kind of put the research doc down and just go out and try it and talk to people. And it's and it's getting easier and easier to run small scale tests, even in physical products. Like with software, especially, of course, it's easier to, you know, sure. build in the open, you know, launch betas, do do that. But even in physical products, like you could with with companies like Alibaba, for example, you could get in mm-hmm. touch with manufacturers from all around the world and order, like we were talking about the reusable container example earlier. Wow, order uh, yeah. you know a case of glass containers and try it and test like your idea to run your new concentrate to get rid of plastic clean bottles and and just kind of get started and, and be comfortable and okay with kind of just getting your hands dirty not to to use a overused cliche but just really get get started and the other thing too and this it. is why Ty we were talking a bit before is I try to not give like advice like, I can give my opinion and share my experience things but there's just there's yeah. plenty of advice out there. There's a lot of advice yeah, out there for yeah, someone starting yeah. their first company, right? And a lot of it's really bad, in my opinion. Some of it's probably pretty good. Some of it's re- probably really insightful. But as a first-time founder going into, you know, launching a, a company, hopefully that's going to do right by the by the planet. How do you sift through all the all the noise, right? You could just run into this state of doing nothing but reading Twitter threads uh, right. about how to nail your first pitch, but then never go and actually do the, the thing. Pitch. Uh, versus just like kind of getting started and be a bit vulnerable. So that's what I say there. So the pitfall to, to avoid is just kind of almost being kind of nervous or, or afraid to kind of expose, expose your ideas, kind of get out there and, and get started, get started on it. Who's had great advice for you? That's a good question. I would say the best advice we've, the best advice we've gotten is through people in our immediate network 
and physical network, I should say, as well, kind of pre-remote work. My yeah. boss at Cat Convoy, who's a serial entrepreneur and just an amazing guy named Grant. I think some of the best advice ever I had came from him. And I think part of it, one, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's mm. done this before. He's lived it. But also we had like a level of trust that I mm. think you don't have, you know, on Twitter with certain individuals or whatnot sure. or whatever it is where we had that level of trust. We're back to my earlier point. I could be more open and vulnerable and say, hey, I, you know, I don't have the super sexy pitch deck that I spent a hundred hours on in Canva, but I have some ideas I've been thinking through. And like we have that like kind of safe platform to talk through these things. Mm-hmm. And if he also on the flip side would feel comfortable telling me where I'm wrong, where I'm nice. messing up. Like he didn't need a buffer yeah. what he was saying, right? For whatever kind of perception he needed to protect. And so we just have honest conversations. And so and nice. And then so I think the point there, Jacob, is, you know, for me, again, for whatever it's worth, for me, I I saw more value and advice of people that I was I was closest with through kind of yeah. working at starts, building this network, far more so than, you know, whatever the blog post was that month from <laughs> whatever hot thought leader was is on the scene that month yeah yeah very interesting right because you can seek the the advice of you know a book or someone online buying their course or like you said reading twitter or the people closest to you and you're probably gonna get the richest advice from yep. the people in proximity to you so got a two-part question for you so we've learned there's a consumer appetite for this which is awesome you mentioned kind of the cross-generational family first part so who's your customer that, persona too. our customer persona is this is it, it kind of it's one of these ones that it, it get, i think it's probably always evolving and we learn a little yep. bit more every day we, we try to have a super hands-on approach to customer service for example and really kind of have dialogues with these with these folks we automate some things where we can but very much are, are high touch so we can gather this feedback and signal and, and data from the folks that are using our product what i would say our persona, I think we're getting very close, if not at that spot now where I mentioned we want to go and target the bounty, Charmin, yeah. Cottonelle buyer, and have those folks switch. And I think there's a couple of different ways we can kind of identify that. But I think one of the, the key things that we look for is how people talk about our product once they've made the switch. And mm-hmm. some people will explicitly say, I was, yeah, I was using this brand, I switched over. But you can also pick up on it in other language as well as where they basically, what they're saying is I was jaded previously or hesitant, I should say, to move to a sustainable solution because usually it's more expensive, lower quality, less convenient. Mm. But I switched to copy paper and I love it. And here's all the reasons, all the reasons why. And I think that means that's the interesting point where someone says, I was skeptical. I wasn't already love making it. a sustainable switch, but something cloud paper did just got me just over that hump to try it. And now I, and now I, and now I love it. And the vast, vast majority of, of people that buy cloud paper are actively subscribing to it and getting regular deliveries on, you know, three, four, six mm-hmm. month uh, cadence, which again is super promising for us because it's back to our favorite word of the segment here at the routine. We're starting <laughs> to see that routine play out with people who have a previous routine with a other, with another name brand. So, and then I would say it's, it's usually households we're seeing more just based on the quantity that we send out and the and the frequency more bulk orders as well so we're seeing more and more of our 96 count we have on our website get get wow. shipped out oh wow um, which is a lot of toilet paper it's about a 40 pound box it's big it's yeah. a big box and so now you're <laughs> actually talking about the costco buyer right yeah now we have yeah. the costco buyer and i think a lot of times with consumer goods especially recently there's kind of an assumption that it's you know your target market is your your millennial consumer mm-hmm. 18 to 25 year old 
that's heavy on social media. And, and that's probably true for, for a lot. We're actually seeing more and more skewed towards the Costco uh, nice. buyer. He's going to buy 96 nice. rolls, put it in their detached garage. Wow. Um, have it start. And that's, and that's very super interesting for us to kind of go down that kind of move down towards that direction versus say, if someone wants to order, if someone orders a six pack of toilet paper every six months, probably going to an apartment in a city somewhere. Yeah. It's also great. They're switching to tree free, to tree free paper. But I think it's, it's, it probably runs a little bit counter to a lot of kind of CPG, how a lot of other CPG companies might answer that question around who's our persona or who are we targeting? And that plays out in the way that we handle kind of our digital and social marketing, for example, and how we kind of prioritize product development is is skewing towards, you know, those Costco buyers. Yeah, that's fascinating. I do want to I do want to call out one thing. I know it's our favorite word. This conversation is I just heard something you guys did innovatively, which is replacing a routine with a new routine. This idea of the subscription model doing that thing that we don't really want to think about, or we go into Costco and we head straight to the back to grab that, you know, whatever it is, the toilet paper. Now you guys took that off people's plates as well by creating a new routine that also allows them to not think about it in that, you know, as much, but it does change their habit, right? It changed the, it changed the substance of, of that routine. So I love that. Good. I would say anyone listening, who's thinking about understanding customers and changing behaviors, that's a great, that's a great lesson right there. I I, I like that a lot. Yep. I think part of what is kind of behind the scenes there on that statement ties that there's, there has to be, at least for us, what we've seen is kind of this hyper, hyper focus on the product and the product quality. Because, nice. you know, there's a, there's a lot of tips and tricks to, you know, keep people subscribing to a product, whether it's through sure. ordering flows and re- right. making reordering very easy and da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, if the product's not good, the product's not good. Yep. No one, no one wants it regularly delivered every yep. three months. Right. And I think, and I bring this up too, because I think it, especially in the sustainability space, I've seen kind of this assumption that, well, as long as my, the product I'm bringing to market, speaking as, you know, maybe it's another company or, you know, first time coming launching, going to market for the first time, as long as the product I'm delivering to the market is more sustainable than what's pre- currently on the market, mm. then people are going to eat it up regardless if it's more expensive, regardless of the quality, right. stuff, regardless right. of the it. And it's just not true. It is, right. I'll, I'll tell you that it's some, we've been very much focused. So we're right now we're price, we're at price parity with all the major toilet paper brands. We're right there on, on quality. And I think we raised the bar in a big, big way on convenience. Mm-hmm. So, and those are three value adds. I didn't talk about sustainability yet. And we're, we're talking about price. And that's, right. that's what people care about, right? Like sure. we have to meet the, we have to meet them where they're at on what really matters. And then sustain the sustainability aspect of it has to be like, okay, great. Now I like, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm, into, I'm into bamboo paper. If we flipped it and we, cause we try to do that for a while, if we flip it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to kind of be right there and kind of raise the bar on all of these kind of core elements of the, of the product, just relying alone on, well, it's more sustainable. So why wouldn't you just absolutely love it? Um, doesn't really, doesn't really work, especially when you start to think about how do you actually shift a routine? Cause you can, you know, you can get a one-time purchase relatively easy on kind of any product, but when you, the package actually delivers in, you know, things like, okay, I'm, I'm buying a sustainable product. Maybe the price is there, quality is there, but is the packaging recyclable or was it shipped in, in plastic? And you see that a lot too. It's like, mm-hmm, well, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z product is more sustainable. And then it shows up wrapped up in plastic at your house. And then the right. like, well, what, <laughs> what, like, do you think I was dumb? Like, what is yeah, this, yeah, so yeah, this yeah. term you hear a lot? Sure you guys have heard it from other folks guests that you've had on this podcast around this kind of 
quote unquote greenwashing type of, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of kind of tactic is is very real. And I would say consumers every day are getting kind of sharper and sharper to it. They don't play games, right? They see if they, they see test. some some bullshit, they'll they'll call it out. Um, so you it. have to like really right exactly. Yeah. You're just totally going into the second part of this question. So you know some Perfect. sustainable climate tech companies they intentionally avoid marketing that they're sustainable, that they're good for the environment. Tesla is a great example, right? Why have you guys chosen the opposite? You guys lean heavy in the sustainable side of things, but while still having a phenomenal product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for us, when people are looking you know, on social media, wherever they're going to kind of see some impression for for a new product. I think generally people, they want to do the right thing. They want to make the sustainable swap. They are interested in, you know, when we say, for example, you know, I think you go to our website now, the, the hero image, the first thing you get hit, all it says is this paper saves trees. Like yeah. people generally, yeah. viscerally, like that sounds like a statement I'm into. Like yeah. what else? Like let's, let's dig into so we want. We do want to kind of capture their attention with the mm-hmm. kind of core of why our company exists, which is to stop cutting down trees to make paper. Yeah. But then back to my earlier kind of point is we have to back that up at the same time. It has to be. Right. Yeah. So we have to back it up on the price, on the quality, on the convenience, on everything, on everything else. But generally people are kind of uh, attached to, to our mission and what we want to do. And so we, we do want to, we want to lean into that. And we also, and there's part of this here too, where go, going back to kind of cutting through the noise, like we're always trying to find interesting and, and creative ways to kind of position what we're doing. So people say, oh, I never thought about that. I never did think about toilet paper being cut, being made from trees and the amount of trees we, we cut down across the globe every single day. Right. That's interesting. So we're always testing um, ways to kind of get that, get that message across. But I think that leaning into the sustainability of it will always be at the forefront because we know that we can back it up on everything else. Mm. Nice. And so just to hit that note home a little, one more time, you guys are price parity to all the major toilet paper products out there. That's right. Yep. And that's been, you know, and crucial for us from the from the get go. We never wanted wow. We never wanted anyone to pay the uh, sustainability tax. Yeah. So to say, so to say, right? Um, because it won't work. Now, again, maybe individuals that are buying a recycled paper product and are very much invested in you know, making sustainable switches and are willing to put money on the line to do it. Sure. But at yeah. the same time, so here's the recycled paper still is in single digits market share. And it's been around for 20, 30 years. Wow. They haven't really still I didn't realize that. minority. Yeah. Wow. The quality's there and, and it, or the lack of quality. And so it's the other 90% uh, that, that we're super interested in. And they've already said they're not going to switch to you know recycled. They're still using Cottonelle or, or whatever it is. So if we start right. to say, hey, don't worry. It's it's a small tax. It's a, it's a sustainability tax. Don't worry about it. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna go far. So for us, we're at price parity with all the major kind of you know national house brands out there for paper products. Well, and that is one of the big topics we're obviously exploring here on this podcast this season. Is we are talking as much as we can to people who are doing this for profit, right? Like there are a lot of <laughs> government programs. Uh, nonprofits, et cetera, we're talking primarily to for-profit companies. And typically we have seen this idea of the sustainability tax and are people willing to pay for, you mentioned the kind of the early adopter, the one that's going to do it, you know, they are going to pay a little bit extra because they believe in the, in the cause. 
but this choice you guys made is pretty important. And I think it goes back to our favorite word, breaking this routine. You know, I, do you just think the product doesn't hold up? Like because people are so used and need toilet paper, they just wouldn't do it. What about the other products that are doing this? Should we be paying for uh, sustainability tax to some degree, I guess, is where I'm heading uh, with this, even though you guys chose something different, mm-hmm. a different path. Yeah. Should we be paying the sustainability tax? Which like we're touching on, we're getting into the philosophical, macroeconomic, yeah. <laughs> political Perhaps. science realm. Is this coming from your research? That is, you know, was a little bit of political junkie back in the day. Study political science. <laughs> like probably have like a political view on this. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I know the answer to it, Ty. To be honest, I think we have in terms of kind of new brands coming to market that are offering a solution or a sustainable alternative to something that's existing now. We, if we want to create, if we want to drive as much change as possible, as quickly as possible, we have to make it as easy. And I'm just, when I, I say we, in terms of people that are innovating in plastics and recycling and everything else, yeah. we have to make it as easy as for people to make a swap to the new product, assuming that we all want to do this as quickly as we, as we, as we can. And again, from a, philosophical stance i don't know the the right answer to like should we be you know shifting our expectations as a culture to pay more for for sustainable goods or is the is the onus on the companies producing the goods to figure out a way to be competitive on price tactically speaking for us we're super focused on let's just make this as easy as possible because to bring it back to the very beginning of the conversation we don't have that much time uh, where yeah. people are going to be making considerations on their paper products, right? We're not selling yeah. the new iPhone here. We're going to go side yeah. by side comparison, spec for spec, a fifteen hundred dollar decision. It's like this is a we have a very small window of of time <laughs> where people are con- making a consideration on this purchase. And the last thing we want is for someone to have to be doing some mental math, like, well, I'm paying you know twenty percent more for this. Is it worth mm. it? How does that yeah. add up over the year? Let's just make it easy and say, we're, you know, you're going to see no change in terms of the cost. Um, so that then we can focus our conversation on everything else. Like, well, why is bamboo better? How can yeah. you recycle this yeah. box? Yeah. And all the stuff that we really want to spend time talking about. you took that worry about. away. Like, exactly. I'm not paying this. I can talk about this other stuff. Well, and the point you make around urgency is a powerful one, I think. And I think it's not said it's said enough by the you know the ones that really are scared and worried about climate change and they're saying we're it's already too late right i think i think the other side of it though the ones that are trying to solve the problem are kind of willing to take these you know have these other hurdles in place maybe because you know they're not willing to make their own sacrifice i'm assuming it was a sacrifice to go to price parity right out of the gate to meet that urgent need Uh, i think i think it's a powerful one to that point, last question for me, and then Jacob, I think we got to jump into the mayhem, mm-hmm. rapid mayhem questions. But from this perspective, and you're now being in this industry for a bit, what do you think is the next big step change in climate action or sustainability? So I personally spend a ton of time thinking about like the the model home or the model modern domicile the kind of next class of individuals that are going out on their own kind of post undergrad college, renting their first apartment, buying their first home. What does that home look like? And how is it different from our homes today? And how is it different from our homes 20 years ago? And I think you're going to see now, I don't know, like if we look at from one of our other topics, uh, the transition to EVs and that kind of step function change in, in automobiles, what is that for the, 
for the home. There's people working on all kinds of interesting, interesting. stuff from yeah. solar panel to tree-free paper in the bathroom yep. to, to whatever else. And so I think it's, um, we'll, we'll see kind of what it, what it looks like, but I think it's going, people are going to interact with their environments very, very oh, differently yeah. in the, in the future, mm-hmm. especially because I think when you look at different generations and age groups, the group I keep kind of referencing that's leasing their first apartments right now, they've grown up with the alarm bells already ringing every single day around climate change. Right. Yeah, they, and they had more transparency now into new products, new brand launching than through social media and technology than ever before. Yep. So it's kind of, to me, it has, it's kind of changed the game a bit where the kind of, you know, voting with your dollars in terms of how you're going to yep. prioritize purchases for your, for your daily life, for your home, your office, whatnot is going to be dramatically different with this kind of new generation uh, moving out into the real estate world for the first time than it ever was and even even now because of these of these things i've i've mentioned so i think you're going to see like i said kind of a, a vastly different interaction with our with our lived environment and that's kind of been a, a topic or a topic du jour for for a while how do we interact with our lived environments and architects and whatnot have focused on this problem far longer than i've even i've even been alive but I'm very much focused on what what products do we fill our our homes with. I, I think it. plastics are going to be long gone. I think yeah. composting rates are going to go up like crazy. Recycling rates are going to go up like crazy because once the awareness is going to be there, the products that are being delivered to someone's homes are going to have are going to be rethinking packaging mm-hmm. and everything else. So it makes it easier to recycle and, and compost. I think it's going to be very very different when you kind of snapshot 24 year olds' apartment now Love or it. in a couple of years Love from it. now versus five years ago. And that's what yeah. I spent a ton of time, a ton of time thinking about. Another another theme I just heard underneath underlying all this: meet them where they are, meet them where they live. Yep. I feel like is is a lot of what you guys are doing, what you are thinking a lot about. That's, that's really cool. Changing, all right, Jacob. Geist. All right, let's do it. So, Ryan, I like it. We do some special called the Rapid Mayhem questions. You got Love some it. questions around bamboo deforestation. Are you ready? I'm ready. You might need to do some stretches. All right, all right. Yeah, rapid fire. Let's go. All right, true or false? There are around 700 species of bamboo. Ooh, false. But not for the reason you might think. It's actually more than 700. It's closer to about 1,200 species of bamboo. That is true. You are right. All right. Number two, true or false? Bamboo is one of the strongest building materials with a tensile strength of 24,000 psi. It's stronger Mm -hmm. than a mild steel, which is about Mm 23,000 psi. The rapid fire answer is false. It's a, it almost, I feel like you were setting me up there for a trick question because it is the strongest <laughs> yeah, building yeah, material. Like um, yeah. It is a strongest building material, is stronger than steel, but the PSI is closer to 30,000. That's true. Um, wow. And, and it, I think it's 29, 000. yeah, 28. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Um, exactly. Look at these trick questions. Bamboo's stronger than steel. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's super amazing. That's yeah. incredible. Your bamboo knowledge is off the charts. All right, number three. Absolutely. <laughs> Tropical rainforests cover less than 10% of the Earth's area, yet they're home to more than half of our planet's terrestrial animal species. True or false? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And That's about right. uh, right. you know, you know, 80% of all species, terrestrial species, live in forests. I know the que- this question was on tropical rainforests, but 80% of species mm. make their home in forests, generally across the uh, Wow. Forest, which is you know, yeah. there's a lot of stats around how many trees does it take to make one box of toilet paper and, you know, number of trees mm-hmm. we're cutting down, mm-hmm. which is, we should understand those stats, but it's super interesting. It's very interesting to me to think of, not interesting, but sad might be the better word, but to think about the ecosystems that we're destroying, that's much more difficult to mm-hmm. quantify. 
yeah. think about eighty percent of terrestrial species live in forests. I know th- this is rapid fire, and now I'm on another tangent. No, which it's is probably okay. another oh, it's theme of this episode, unfortunately yes. for both of you guys and your listeners. But thought I'd throw that in there. But uh, I yeah. mean, like you said, your knowledge on this stuff is off the charts, uh, man. We're very well done. We'll see if like, I can make it to the end. Hit me with the next <laughs> one, Jacob. Okay, last one. The paper industry contributes seven percent, seven percent of global CO two emissions. True or false? And this is as of 2017. That was my source. Yeah, 2017. I'll say, let me say true. I think that the newer research shows That's that right. getting up closer, like double digits, but let's say 2017 is true, 7%. Wow. All right. Wow. Man, four out of four. Wow. Got it. Nailed Damn it. Good. Damn Nailed good. it. All right. We either have guests who totally flunk it or they just, yeah. <laughs> it seems like, okay, wonderful. Rav Mayhem questions close. All right. We can, we can wipe our brows a little bit. All right. Ryan call to action you know climate change is so big people often feel helpless in trying to help what's the equivalent of what a listener can do maybe say like the average soccer mom my answer probably is not going to surprise you much but i think that in all seriousness kind of what seems like small immaterial changes really add up in the aggregate and so finding yeah kind of small changes in your daily life your daily routine swapping your traditional toilet paper for tree-free paper, swapping something plastic-free for is traditionally made of plastic, finding things that can end nice. up in the compost versus the landfill. These things in aggregate really add up and, and drive real meaningful mm-hmm. change. Um, and so that to me is always my CTAs. I agree. You, you can feel very helpless. You know, we talked about EVs, for example, and then mm-hmm. like that, switch everything or what about charging my EV and how do I, it just, it can become overwhelmed. There's so many different solutions yeah, and alternatives. Right. To me, yeah. it's just like, bring it, bring it back to home. What's kind of one small, simple thing you can swap out now? Because like we talked about earlier as well, like once you make that first swap, you kind of get inspired to be like, well, what else is out yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. How else can I make a sustainable swap? So, Well, and yeah, that's sustainable in itself. Start, start where you are, start small. Don't, you know, you don't have to solve the climate, you know, challenge yourself <laughs> and do everything, right. but start where you are. I, I, I love that. Um, I think that's actually a very actionable request of, of most people. Well, man, it's been awesome as always. Where can we find you, Ryan Fritch and, and Cloud Paper? Where can you find Ryan Fritch, the the individual? Our team, our company's kind of scattered across the US. I'm in Portland. Living in Portland now. Our company's based in Wistarden and is still based in Seattle with a large distribution footprint in Seattle. But I've been born and raised Pacific Northwest and in nice. in, in, in Northeast Portland now. And where to find Cloud Paper? It, so we're we're sold online uh, exclusively right now. Cloudpaper.co. Um, Cloudpaper.co. Yep, um, that's the best place to find us. We are on GoPuff. If you have GoPuff in your city, which is in most cities now, mm. we are on Amazon. But the the best place to go is Cloudpaper.co, and then Code Mayhem. As of today, we'll start what? working as well. Wow. Yeah, code Code Mayhem o- only on Cloudpaper.co though. Won't work on Amazon or okay. elsewhere, but. And they, get, um, and they get what with that? 15% off um, their okay. subscription. Yeah, so it's material. 15% it. off. That's material. Love that's a it. double pun right there. Mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> that's a double pun. That's right. Hell yeah. And uh, by the way, I ordered Cloud Paper through GoPuff. Yesterday, it came within 30 minutes. It yep. was amazing. Like, legitimately, the experience of getting it very quickly, using the product. Loved it. Very dense product, too. You feel yep. like it's going to last you a week plus sort of a thing, you know? There's a lot of value in that role. Yep. And now that you've tried it. it and you love it, you can go to our website, use code Mayhem, get I'm 50% good. off, and be a lifetime subscriber. Oh. oh yeah. There we go. And it's a way for people to get started, like you said a second ago. Yeah. Like, this is your way. Like, get started today helping the climate 
cloudpaper.co. Love it. Yep. All right, Ryan, as always, man, super, super great to talk to you. Really knowledgeable and a lot of practical like ways to change our lives. And I mean, our lives, like the bigger climate future yep. of our lives. I appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, it, guys. Hi, Thanks so Jacob. much, man. Super right. fun conversation. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you again. Okay. Bye. Bye. See you, Ryan. Bye. Bye. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. This is Jacob Kabika with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out.